Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Uh, We're in the midst of a series on Joseph right now. Uh, We began this series by looking at his dreams, and we looked at how uh, God placed these dreams in Joseph's heart, and then the first thing that begins to happen is obstacles begin to arise. And you would think if God put the dream there, then it would just unfold without any resistance. But what we find in Scripture is that's not always the case. Uh, A lot of times what happens is the first thing you'll see after God places a word or a promise in your heart is challenges and obstacles standing in the way. What we found with Joseph is when it felt like he was moving further and further from the dream, God recognized he was moving closer and closer to recognizing it. Last week, we talked about Joseph's, uh, that season that he had in prison, those seasons of life that you just want to be over with, you want out of those seasons. But we looked at how God can be found in the midst of them, how God does good in the midst of them, and how as Christians, we're called to do what Joseph did, which was he ministered to those in prison, he served those in prison, and he used the gifts that God had given him while he was in prison. And that's kind of a little of what I want to talk about today was when Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams using the gift that God had given him, not so much the interpretation of those dreams themselves, but more so what would take place as Pharaoh's dreams began to unfold. So if you remember, Pharaoh was deeply disturbed by these dreams that he had, and the cupbearer said, hey, I remember this guy in prison named Joseph. He interpreted my dreams. We'll bring him up and see if he can interpret yours. So we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 41 with Pharaoh describing that dream to Joseph. Uh, verse 17 of chapter 41, Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I have never seen such ugly cows uh, in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before, and then I woke up. In my next dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain that scorched scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. And then here's the interpretation of the dream. In verse 29, seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Now, before we move on uh, to the next verse, I just want to take a minute to recognize two things that are happening in this scenario. The first is this is not a localized dream. Uh, It's not a local famine because we know that Joseph and his family traveled from Canaan because they were in the midst of that famine famine, and that was hundreds of miles away. So this is a uh, pretty broad scale famine taking place. The second thing that we should recognize is the severity of this famine. 
when we get to the end of the story, which we've talked about uh, for a few weeks, where Joseph is restored to his brothers and, you know, he, he rescues his brothers, uh, it seems kind of like that's the end of the story. It, it makes a good end of the story. But what does Joseph say to his brothers? He says, okay, we're all good now, but you guys need to move here because we still have five years of famine left. In other words, it was nowhere near the end of the famine yet. It was a severe, severe famine. So recognizing those two things, it kind of explains what Joseph uh, uh, says as he continues in verse 30. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. Now pay attention to verse 31. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. And that's kind of our launching point this morning. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. What Joseph says to Pharaoh is he says, there is a famine coming that's going to be so bad that the people will forget that there was ever an abundance. Uh, it's going to get so bad that people will forget that it was ever good. You know, this is, a, this is kind of a human condition that we are forgetful people. Uh, often, when we are in the midst of challenging seasons of life, we become even more forgetful. Uh, our kids, if we were to take them today to Chuck E. Cheese, which we're not doing, don't tell them I said that, if we were to take them to Chuck E. Cheese and then tomorrow they wake up and say, can we go somewhere fun? And we said, no, they would say, you never take us anywhere. <laughs> now, it's exaggerated with children. It's obvious with children, but don't think for a second that this is absent in adults. If we hide it better, and we're more subtle with our forgetfulness. But when we go through valleys in life, we forget all about the mountains. Uh, when we go through challenges, uh, when we go through hard times, we begin to easily forget about God's goodness and God's past faithfulness. If we have a prayer in our heart that goes unanswered for too long, we begin to forget about all the prayers that God has answered throughout our entire lives. And Joseph is telling Pharaoh, this is about to take place on a mass level. There is a famine coming and people are just going to forget that there was an abundance once upon a time. That's where I want to go this morning. Remembering God's goodness when it's hard to see it in the moment. We are prone to forgetfulness. But uh, what we're going to look at today is God actually warned the people over and over to be on guard against this forgetfulness. Now, to do this, we're going to move past Joseph. When we get to the end of the story of uh, Genesis, the end of Joseph's story, it goes straight into Exodus. So uh, just kind of an interesting historical note. We know in Exodus that the problem with Pharaoh was uh, that the, the people of Israel became too numerous. Do you know how the people of Israel ever got to Egypt in the first place? Well, we, we just read it. Uh, they came to Egypt because they were, uh, Joseph brought them there to escape the famine. So it's kind of just leading straight into Exodus. And this land that is their, their rescue at first soon becomes a, a land of slavery because the people of Israel, remember Israel at this time is not necessarily a nation. Israel is Joseph's father. So what it's talking about is Joseph's family line. All of Joseph's relatives have been taken slave in Egypt because they've become so numerous. Now, if you think about Joseph's family line, this is the epitome of, of life's roller coaster. 
because their family had experienced that seven years of abundance. They're high on the roller coaster. Then they experienced the famine. Now they're down low. Then they experienced Joseph's rescue. Now they're up high again. Then they're taken into slavery. Now they're down low again. Uh, and uh, it's about this time that Moses enters the picture. Now, we're just going to speed right through this. Moses, of course, encounters the, the burning bush in Exodus 3. Over the course of the next 10 chapters, God is pouring out the plagues until finally uh, Pharaoh says, hey, uh, your people are free to go. So now they're back high on the roller coaster. But then the Pharaoh changes his mind and he sends the army uh, to, to annihilate the Israelites. Who, and, and now they're back at the bottom of that roller coaster. It is, it's up and down, up and down, extremely high highs, extremely low lows. And suddenly the Israelites are pinned between the Red Sea and an enclosing army behind them. Now this is the lowest the roller coaster goes. This is the low point of the valley. Uh, the, the technical term for it is the veil, V-A-L-E. It's the lowest point of the valley, the valley floor. And that's where they are at this point because all they can see now is impending death. They're just given over to it. They tell Moses, you brought us here to die. There's a Red Sea in front of us. There's an army behind us. There's no other option than death. And that's when Moses speaks up in Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And then skipping down to verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. They are now at the pinnacle of the mountain. Uh, it is amazing how quickly you can go from the valley floor to the pinnacle of the mountain when God is involved. They have gone from there is imminent death and no other possible outcome to a miraculous, no other option but God did this salvation. And I want to stop there for just a minute in case there's anyone here who feels like the mountaintop for you couldn't be further away, or even just getting back up to sea level couldn't be further away. Uh, the timeline that you have contrived in your mind to get out of the valley, it means nothing, no offense. The, the idea that you have in your mind of how far away the end of this valley is, if God is involved, your opinion really means nothing because what we see in scripture is in a single moment, God can take someone from the valley floor to the top of the mountain. Deliverance can happen in an instant. Salvation can happen in an instant. The mountaintop can come in an instant. Now here's the reality. If you're in a good place this morning, at least in your heart, you're probably saying, amen, pastor. And if you're in a bad place this morning, you're probably saying, well, why hasn't it happened yet? If it's so easy, why hasn't it come yet? And I cannot give you a singular answer to that question. I'll give you a few could-be answers to that question. We looked a few weeks ago, as I said, at how Joseph put this dream, or God put this dream in Joseph's heart, and then all of a sudden it's just obstacles and, and a difficult life and 
to be clear, when Joseph is going through that prison season of life, he wants out. Uh, he, he's telling the cupbearer, when you get up there, tell the Pharaoh he forgot about me. I don't want to be here. But in hindsight, Joseph looked back and he, he saw, we talked about it last week in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, he said to his brothers, but God intended it for good to accomplish the saving of many lives. So in hindsight, Joseph could look back and he could see this season of life that I was in was actually bigger than myself. Uh, there were pains and challenges in the moment, but it was bigger than me. Now, you might be in that season, and you might not be able to see what it's all about until it's hindsight. But sometimes God allows those extended valley seasons because there is a large-scale purpose involved. Uh, there are other instances that it's about learning who God is in more than one facet. And what I mean by that, as I've said before, as, as a father to my kids, I want them to know me as their provider here on earth but I sure hope that's not the only thing they know me as. You know, I want them to know that I, I will comfort them, that I will give them whatever wisdom I have to offer. There are different sides to me as their father that I want them to see. Did you know that you will never know God as a miracle worker unless you need a miracle? You'll never know God as a deliverer unless you're in need of deliverance. And sometimes God will allow us to go through these seasons of life that we don't want anything to do with because he wants us to learn who he is in a new facet. A third possible reason, and I hope this isn't you this morning, but sometimes God allows us to go through these valley season, uh, seasons because it's the only way that we'll ever pursue him. I've said this before as well. Uh, there are people that if my phone rings and I see the caller ID, I know they're in a crisis because I never hear from them and I never see them in church unless there is a crisis in their life. And God desires you enough that if that's the only way you'll pursue him, he'll allow you to go through those seasons just so you will actually pursue him. The question is, can we pursue God with that same fervency and that same passion when life is going great? Can we seek God when we're on the mountaintop the same way that we seek him when we're in the valley? And here's the ultimate question. Can we have faith in him in such a way that says, I don't actually have to understand why I'm, why I'm here. I don't have to understand God's ways completely to trust God's ways completely. It's why the Bible says we're called to walk by faith and not by sight. To have, have faith that there is purpose, even if we can't see it in the moment. Now, if we return to the story of Exodus, remember we've just left off with this mountaintop moment where uh, they have crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground. And uh, just as Moses told them, the Egyptian army that's been tormenting would never be seen again because they're destroyed as the Red Sea uh, collapses on them. They have been given complete victory. And then the Bible says they lived happily ever after, never worrying or complaining about every, anything ever again. If you've ever read the Bible, you know that's not true. In fact, the Bible says in the very next chapter after their deliverance, they begin complaining because they're so thirsty. So God provides water. So the next chapter, they begin complaining because they're hungry. So God provides manna. 
And further in that chapter, they're saying, did you just send us here to die? Why couldn't we die in Egypt? We want something besides manna. So God sends them quail. So we get to the next chapter and they say, we're thirsty again. Did you send us here to die? And so God provides water over and over and over. And the Bible actually tells us, even though God has just led them through the Red Sea on dry ground in Exodus 17, it says that the Israelites were fighting amongst themselves saying, is God even with us? Is God even among us? Now what's going on? What's going on is things are getting so bad that they're forgetting that they were once good. They're forgetting God's faithfulness and goodness. So while all of this is going on, God keeps coming back to the same word, the same command for all of them. Now in your Bible, Deuteronomy is located a few books after Exodus, but chronologically they're taking place at the same time. So as Israel is going through all these seasons where they have anxieties and worries, uh, where am I going to get water, where am I going to get food, I'm worried about these armies in the other lands, and, and you can see all of these worries, God keeps sending this reminder, and I'm just going to breeze through them real quick. In Deuteronomy 5.15, this is God speaking. He says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God says, remember. We get to uh, chapter 6, verse 12. God says, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Chapter 7, verse 18. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. Chapter 15, he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Chapter 24, he says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. From there. So what we have here is the Israelites are worried about this and about that. And, and, and where am I going to get this? And God just keeps saying, do you remember Egypt? Don't forget Egypt. Do you remember my faithfulness in every situation in the past? Why are you so caught up in anxiety today when I have provided for you at every moment and the Israelites are just forgetting and forgetting. And God is saying, don't forget. Don't forget. They're worried about facing armies. And God is saying, don't forget Egypt. And what's happening here is the same thing that Joseph said would happen in Pharaoh's dream. In the midst of famine, people forget about abundance. In the midst of challenges and hardships, They've forgotten about God's faithfulness to bring them out of Egypt to the point that they're even asking, is God even with us? Unfortunately, this isn't ancient history. This happens today when God will, will prove himself undeniably in our lives. And then when we face challenges, we begin asking questions. Does God really love me? Would a loving God actually allow me to go? Does God actually hear my prayers? And what God is saying is, do you, don't forget your exodus. Don't forget God's constant faithfulness in your lives throughout the years. God's constant goodness in your lives throughout the, uh, throughout the years. And, and where your mind is fixed on your worries, fix your mind on the faithfulness of God. If you spend your days fixated on your anxieties and worries, you'll be consumed by them. And you will begin to forget the goodness of God in your past. But if we begin 
to remember the faithfulness of God. As Peter said, to cast our anxiety on him. To dwell on his faithfulness. That's going to be the main theme in our lives. Uh, what we find as we continue in that story of Moses is when Moses transfers leadership of Israel over to Joshua, God says something really unique uh, to, to, to Joshua. God says, the same way that I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. And he probably didn't realize or uh, Joshua didn't realize that uh, it was almost literal. It, it was almost the exact same way. Uh, because uh, the parallel here is, is just incredible. If you remember, Moses kind of launched into his leadership of the Israelite people by crossing through the Red Sea on dry ground. Well, the Bible says that Joshua has come up to the, the Jordan River, and they need to cross the Jordan River. Actually, the Bible says it was at flood stage. And the Bible says that uh, as they stepped foot into the river, the water stopped. The water stopped and they crossed on dry ground. And what we have is this story that is so similar to what took place with Moses. But there's a difference in Joshua's story that you could read right over. And I don't want to read right over it today. The Bible says that Joshua does something a little different. He sends 12 men back into the dry riverbed. And he says, I want you guys to go in there and grab 12 stones. And we're going to bring those stones and we're going to set them in the middle of the camp. Joshua 4, 6, we're going to read why he told them this. He says, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Why did Joshua build this altar? It wasn't for the sake of sacrifices. It was for the sake of memory. So that every time any person saw these stones, which were in the middle of a city, they were reminded of the faithfulness of God. God or, or Joshua had been with the Israelites who had forgotten God's faithfulness from the Exodus. So Joshua does something just a little different. He says, we're going to place something here so that it is always remembered God's faithfulness. Uh, I want to challenge you to do something. It might sound a little funny, but I want to challenge you to build an altar. If we don't begin making note of God's faithfulness in our lives, it's so easy to forget when we go through challenging seasons. Uh, I was thinking this week of, of a mission trip that I was on in Honduras and, and I saw, uh, I actually got to participate in miracle after miracle and healings and, and just, it was incredible. Do you know, within a few years, I forgot basically every single miracle. Uh, and then one day I, I stumbled upon a, a little notepad where I had written down all of the, the miracles that I got to encounter there. And all of a sudden, I'm remembering God's faithfulness. Some of us need to make some notes on answered prayers, make some notes of God's goodness and faithfulness in our lives, and put them somewhere where you're going to stumble upon it at some point in time. Tuck it in your Bible somewhere, somewhere that 
you will come back to the faithfulness of God. Renee, can you go ahead and come? The Bible says in Genesis chapter 41, I want you to remember the interpretation of Pharaoh's dream. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the famine is going to be so bad that you guys are going to forget that it was ever good. In Genesis chapter 41, verse 51, the Bible says that Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh. Now, Manasseh uh, is the Hebrew word uh, for forget, which sounds like an odd name, but I want you to see why he named him this. And Joseph said, it is because God has made me forget all of my trouble and all of my father's household. Remember the interpretation again of Pharaoh's dream. It's going to be so bad, you forget the good. Joseph names his son. It's going to be so good, I forget the bad. This is the power of our redeeming God. That he can take you from wherever you are, every valley, and lift you up to the mountain to the point where you're saying, I don't even remember the bad anymore. And you might be here and you say, I don't remember the good, but we serve a God who in a moment can take you to the mountaintop. Come on, church. He is a good God.
press one more time. Amen. Hey, uh, take a few minutes and celebrate with us. Just grab a piece of cake. You don't even have to eat it. Just walk around with it. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.